Hey, it's Jay, and for years now, probably about five years, I've been a freelancer, selling my time. I think that's the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur builds products that they can sell in their sleep. An entrepreneur has some kind of scalable or maybe even venture scale model in mind. Whereas a freelancer, like me, sells their time. And when you sell your time, you have to get really good at being ruthless about how you spend or invest that time because it's literally the way you make your livelihood. It's the way you make your money. And so today, I wanted to profile a podcast from two different freelancers to hear a few things. Not only how you create a show that's effective when you have very little time, but also why you would create a podcast at all if what you do is sell your time. Oh, and on top of all that, it's a show that, while really great and expertly done, doesn't come with all the kind of crazy bells and whistles and 20 different people producing it that so many shows that feel out of reach to so many people sound like. So this is something that feels like we could all create it. And I think it affects a lot of businesses, maybe similar to your own, definitely similar to mine. How do you make the call to create a podcast as a freelancer? What does it do for your business? So all that and a lot more about the craft of podcasting on this Another great episode of the show. Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their process a few pieces at a time. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this is a Castos original series. As always, our goal is to demystify the creative process behind great podcasts and to inspire greater creativity in yours. Today, to help us, we're going to learn from Kaylee Moore, a freelance writer and the co-host of Freelance Writing Coach her podcast, together with Emma Samasco. Freelance Writing Coach is a conversational co-hosted show between two freelance writers, and together they're sharing their insights that help them build thriving freelance businesses because they want to help their fellow freelancers. Wait, they want to create competition? We get into that. The show has run for 27 episodes so far. It releases in seasons, but in season they'll release episodes weekly, And it features Kaylee and Emma discussing, as they describe it, all things related to building a successful freelance writing business. They chat in a casual, friendly, but really knowledgeable manner. I mean, they're veteran freelance writers and business owners. And they'll talk about topics like client boundaries. Do you create digital products so you can sell a product, not just your time? How do you price your services and your time? How do you create effective proposals, loneliness in independent work, and more? If you are in the freelance writing community, especially if you work in marketing or B2B, chances are good that you know at least one of these two co-hosts. And today, I'm really privileged to talk to Kaylee Moore about her show. But before we break that down, let's first meet her. So Kaylee, like, like me, you sell your time for a living. Uh, in at least in part or in, in majority, perhaps. I want to know why, given your role as a freelance writer and everything you could possibly do with that time, why is the podcast a good investment of that time? So for me, the podcast that I do is an opportunity to share what I know. So I've been doing this for eight years now, and it's a great way for me to leverage the things that I've learned through trial and error, hopefully to save other people time and effort. Um, But it's also a chance for me to talk to a fellow freelance writer, which is Emma Samasco, my co-host. She and I are both super busy. And so I feel like this is scheduled time that she and I get together and just talk through what we're dealing with, with work. And that 
support and that form of community for me is extremely important because it's so, so isolating and lonely sometimes being a freelancer or creator, working alone from home. Um, as much as I love my pets, they don't talk. So having this outlet where I can talk through the things that are important to people who are doing the same type of work that I do, that's that's really something I, I value. And though it's not a huge money generator at this point, we're, we're only like three seasons in at this point, it's just really rewarding. And to hear people have listened to it and get things out of it and feel like they're learning from these conversations that are actually just really fun to have, that means a lot. So someone else might say, I would never, I would never say what I'm about to say, but someone else might say this, which is, wait, so you're teaching other people how to be freelance writers. You are both freelance writers. Why are you creating your own competition? I think that there's enough work to go around. And I feel like this mentality that we're all competing against each other is kind of a false narrative because you can teach people to do what you do all day long, but they're never going to do it the same way you do. So sharing what you've learned and sharing tips and tricks along the way to make life easier is helpful and great and wonderful. But I'm, I have no concerns about it, like taking away from my workload or, you know, seeing it as a threat at all. I feel like it's really just... I've learned these things. And especially in the world of freelancing, there's no real guidebook. Like they're not teaching this in school. So being able to share these lessons learned firsthand is worth it. And I, I just, I don't worry about that. We're going to dissect an episode in a little bit about choosing a niche. But before we get to that, so let's set aside the idea of picking a niche, finding a niche, creating a niche. What are, you know, the one to two big things that you, you feel like you've learned the hard way as a freelancer that you, you're excited to talk about publicly? I think my list is much, much longer than one to two, but... <laughs> What, do you have any, any like pet rocks that you carry with you? Oh, man. I think a big one is tying up a lot of time with leads that don't pan out. I, up until a couple years ago, was still doing that. I would get on the phone with anyone and everyone. I would take a call just to feel things out. And what I realized was that it was super cutting into my ability to do deep work. So by really putting some strong boundaries in place around that and saying no a lot more and trying to do more asynchronous things, that's been really helpful. Um, but definitely something that I learned the hard way. And I always tell other freelancers to watch out for. Um, I also have a better filtering mechanism now too with my website. So I feel like some of the, the non fits are weeded out through that, which is helpful. Um, the other thing is I think just, just follow through, like following up, following through on what you've, you've promised the client. I've always been really good at that, but I've talked to so many freelancers over the year who, run into that thing where they either come across as flaky or not proactively communicating. And so just reinforcing that I think is, is incredibly important because so many people don't realize that, especially in this virtual context where you're not meeting face to face, you don't have a boss to keep you accountable. A lot of it is self-directed. So you really have to stay on top of yourself and be really disciplined at doing the things you say you're going to do. Yeah. I think this is part of picking a niche, but for me, a big, big one is is maybe belief instead of like, you know, psychographics instead of demographics, but like a strongly worded positioning to your business, to you, to your style and being like, that is what I do. Take it or leave it. Like I want to do that specific thing well versus these 25 things. Okay. Right. Which means I then have to compete on price, which is a race to the bottom. Like there's all these problems with like sort of like the decisions you make earlier just to get some clients and then eventually the, the goal of every freelancer is to get great clients. And typically those are not going to be the same. And so you have to do some things that, you know, your website comment made me think of this. It sets up some helpful friction. 
Like it's people think, oh, you don't want any friction in the system. Like actually, no, you want to work with the right people and bring them all the way into your corner. And so like useful, helpful friction in your positioning, in the content you put out, in the style that people see from you personally, like that all helps bring in the the right type of client that then also shaves off a lot of headaches because they're not trying to nickel and dime you and they're going to refer you like all these other things get better and compound over time too. So it's not just about the near term dollars. I think it just sets you up longer term to thrive. So if, if there's any of like the pet rocks that I could name, pricing, you name it, that's probably the biggest one that I carry with me at all times. That's a good one. We want to dissect your show. Before we do, you have a co-host who uh, we chose not to interview because sometimes it gets chaotic, but also um, I know this co-host, but I think you do a much better job of introducing our listeners to who your co-host is and also like how you delineate between roles. So right before we head into these clips here, Who's your co-host and what different roles do you play on the show? So my co-host is Emma Samasco. She is another freelance writer. She's actually the first person that ever hired me um, from a software company. She was working as the content manager at Grasshopper um, at the time, which was like eight years ago. And she brought me in as a freelance writer. And she eventually, about a year later, was like, you know, I kind of want to do the freelance thing too. So can you talk me through the things that you're learning and the obstacles? And so we just kind of hit it off from there. And we've been collaborating ever since then. How about with the way you delineate your roles? Like you're not... Oh, yes, the roles. Just, um, uh, you're not just yesing everybody. You're not just like, oh, I agree. End of point. Like you have a good dynamic. Do you have a yeah. like a conscious way you plan out like taking different stances or different roles or this person is moving the the fo- the action forward like how do you divide up the work it's all just purely conversational like the things that we come up and and discuss we 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 have like six bullet points going into the episode and then we just talk um and the thing that's really cool that happens is that we often don't agree on the topic that we're discussing so whatever it might be, she might have an experience that's very different from mine. And so we'll go back and forth and talk through that, which is good because it adds some different perspective and nuance to these topics that we're talking about. The other thing I will say is that Emma's from Boston and she just has this incredible storytelling ability and she has a very big personality. And so I feel like she and I together we're both kind of like that. And so we play off each other well, where there's not like one person who's kind of sitting in the background just saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, to the other person. We're very much like having an intellectual conversation back and forth where we're equal partners. Let's get into the clips. So we're pulling all the clips today from the same episode. It's titled Choosing a Niche. When they work, when they don't, and do you have to do it? It was published on October 18, 2021. And in this very first clip, uh, it's it's the static intro, essentially. And I think it's really important to get right because you want to immediately hook the listener. Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Ava Gutierrez, a freelance writer who's helped other freelancers quit their jobs and reach their $10,000 per month writing goals. This all happens inside of the client acquisition system, and Ava has a special gift for our listeners. Grab her training on how to make your first $10,000 from freelance writing at the freelancewriterframework.com. 
Learn how to make your first $10,000 as a freelance writer, all while making sure you're working with ideal clients on projects that you actually love. Go to thefreelancewriterframework.com to get access. So there's a lot of things I want to talk about, about how the show applies to your businesses, both you and Emma. Um, before we do, just to touch on the audio quickly, uh, how do you decide, you know, there's a lot of education around freelance writing and freelance careers and things like that. How do you decide how to describe your specific show and the way you want to impart value to your audience, which does have a lot of options? Yeah, Emma and I have both done one-to-one coaching. We've also done a little bit of group training as well. So positioning it as the freelance writing coach was strategic in that. It's what we do as a service offering. And it's also great from an SEO perspective as well, because it just kind of is like a natural fit. So in positioning it that way, I think it was really just how do we really tap into the audience that would need us? And how do we how do we frame it in a way that would make sense to them? So that's that's kind of how we landed on the name of the Freelance Writing Coach podcast. Have you done the same intro every single episode or has it evolved at all? Yeah, it's a, the only thing that changes is our sponsor information. Oh, so cool. it's it's otherwise the same every time. And what, is that a real paying sponsor? Yes. So Ava came on this season. She kind of does what we do. I think she might be a, a few years behind, but she does like cohort-based coaching. And so she thought that this was a natural fit. And it's been great. We even had her come on. We did a video chat where the three of us just kind of answered questions and she got an opportunity to talk about her offering. So yeah, just a really natural tie-in. As somebody, and I, I kind of fall in the same camp. I, I've, I started as a writer, I identify as a writer. If someone has no idea about this digital creator freelancer thing, like I know that they work in some traditional field or whatever, and they ask what I do, I say I'm a writer and I make podcasts. And, and lately they latch onto the make podcast part as like, oh, like, what do you make? What what should I listen to? That kind of stuff. I think it's just more of a conversation starter. But I identify first and foremost as a writer. And one of the things I've fallen in love with is just the nuances of how the form or the medium changes the writing. And so there's a lot to learn when you move from writing something or outlining or researching or preparing anything to do with the written skill set for a written project versus the podcast. So what do you see as different when prepping or scoping or even writing for a podcast compared to the rest of your writing? So the normal writing that I do, the de- the briefs are super, super detailed. There's not a lot of ambiguity around where things are going. The outlining process is very structured and regimented and formatted. And it's kind of down to a science at this point. With the podcast, like I said, Emma and I just open up a Google Doc and we come up with topics. Some of them are users or listeners submitted. Some of them are just things that we want to talk about. And then we'll drop in some bullet points. Um, So we have something to guide the conversation, but it's very loose. And what we found is that in doing that and just having, you know, less than 10 bullet points to work from, we can get a, you know, 20 to 25 minute episode out of that. And so it's just... uh, kind of been trial and error. We've just organically gone into it this way and the format works really well. So we've stuck with it. Can you talk a little bit about coming up with ideas or even just vetting them to be sure that like, yeah, this is probably something we should talk about because, you know, I I see this all the time, especially with B2B type shows. Um, In some ways, Three Clips is, is that. Unthinkable, my other show is definitely that. But there's a lot of kind of revisiting, rehashing very common topics. So on the one hand, they're common because a lot of people seem to care about them, like how you pick a niche, very common advice for marketers, for freelancers, et cetera. 
then there's like what you uniquely want to bring to that. So before you actually hit record, how are you generating these ideas, figuring out your angle for these ideas, like ensuring it's worth the time, I guess. Well, I had some previous experience doing the Creative Class podcast, uh, which is one that I co-host with Paul Jarvis, which was a course for freelancers. We had a podcast that went with it. So some of the topics are really just kind of iterations of previous episodes that we did, except it's me and Emma's instead of Paul and I. So that's one springboard that we've used. We also get questions from readers on LinkedIn, on Twitter, in our email inboxes. So we use those as fodder for the conversations. And then if there's anything pressing that either of us have been dealing with in our lives, um, so like season three that we're in right now, we've talked about using social media and like setting boundaries around that. We've talked about taking time off. These are both things that we've personally been experiencing in our careers and in our personal lives. And so we wanted to talk about them just on a person to person basis. She and I and be like, how, do, how are you dealing with this? What do you do when X happens? Um, but it's also something we wanted to share because if we're dealing with it, other people probably are too. You mentioned your previous show with Paul Jarvis. This show is also a co-hosted show. It's a rarer form of show that we certainly of all the shows that we featured, you know, there's a lot of interview shows. There's some monologue shows. There's a lot of narrative shows. Um, co-hosted tends to, for whatever reason, and maybe surprisingly not be as popular. I'm wondering what draws you to that approach to the medium. That I, that I don't really have a good answer for that. I just, I think that a big one for me is I have a real problem with trying to play schedule tag with people to get interviews scheduled. So <laughs> that on my end is like, oh, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to have guests on the show and, you know, try to play schedule tag. Number one, because it's not a, it's, you know, this is not a huge moneymaker for us. It's more about Emma and I catching up at the end of the day. So it's our, it's personal, I guess. It's not super strategic. It's um, what serves us best. And I feel like that's sometimes a really good way to approach a creative side project like this. Even if it is bringing in a little bit of money, do it because it's something you want to do. And it's something you get something out of. Not so much like, oh, I'm just doing this for the audience. I'm bending over backwards to please the listeners. I feel like that is kind of a recipe for disaster. So the next clip, it's perfect dovetail into this next clip because we're talking about the co-hosted format. And of course, a hallmark of a great co-hosted show is the rapport between those hosts, which is, I think, very hard won. It's easy to sound cheesy, like you're over scripting the dialogue. And, you know, you have these like kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge moments where it, you're trying to sound impromptu, but mostly you come across as real cheese ball, right? Like, you know, you hear this a lot when you introduce a producer on a narrative show. You might be like, and Kaylee is here with a segment. And you're like, hey, Kaylee. Hey, Jay. It's like, <laughs> exactly. you here in this episode we've planned out for months and you've been researching and that we had on the books to talk to each other today. You know, so there's a lot of artifice and that kills good co-hosted shows or any show. In this next clip, I think it's representative of your rapport. Uh, Emma is sharing how she chose to focus on writing about case studies and then hands it off to you to talk about your experience. So you're discussing the selection of a niche or the creation of a niche. Let's take a listen to that clip. It wasn't until I was in business for like three or four years that I decided to really lean into doing case studies. I was doing them for a long time, but I hadn't sort of put a stake in the ground and said like, no, this is something I really specialize in. I have a process for doing this and really develop that side of the business. 
So do you feel like you reached kind of an inflection point where you were like, okay, this is where I'm going to specialize in what I'm going to do? Yeah, I would say it was probably a year to 18 months in. I took Paul Jarvis's creative class course, and it was very much like once you find a specialization area, you can charge more, you build up your ethos, your expertise, all of those important things, and you're more positioned to charge higher rate, which was kind of like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. And then I'm not starting from zero. Every time I start in a project, you know, it's it's reduces some of that overwhelm that comes with that. And so that for me was like, okay, I'm going to position myself now as a writer who specializes in long-form blog content for these very specific types of companies. How do you balance wanting to give your opinion and tell stories versus sort of getting out of the way and giving your co-host some leash to run? Mm. I feel like we just have a very natural back and forth. And sometimes we speak over each other a little bit if we get really excited about something. But for the most part, I feel like she and I understand our speaking patterns enough that there's a natural uh, flow back and forth when we know that the other person is done speaking or there's a chance to jump in or something like that. So having that rapport and having that previous existing relationship with the co-host makes that so much easier. It's not like we're getting to know each other for the first time. We've known each other for years. We know how we speak. We know just kind of how our back and forth banter goes. And so it's very, very natural and it's very conversational. And like you said, it's not scripted. It's not a scripted show. It's it's really just a conversation. And that's that's how we approach it. Do you do takes uh, or, you know, if you mess up or you're like, oh, I'll say that again, like how much of it is, how much of what I'm hearing, if you had to guess at a percent is like the first time you've thought and or spoken it? A hundred percent. We do no, we do no redos we do know like if one of us stumbles over our words we might pause and say like okay edit this out or coughs or something like that but it is literally okay we're gonna sit down and record three episodes today i'm in my bed in my podcast studio with the pillows all around me and we're just chatting and that's it once the episode's done it's done knowing that like fully recognizing here where the show fits in your in your business and your time you know you're not trying to sell this show to npr or whatever but uh I don't know what a better example would be Gimlet. That would be cool though. It'd be cool, right? It would be cool. Uh, <laughs> but knowing that that's not like the current intent of the show and that you have limited time, do you feel like that approach limits the impact of the show at all? Hmm. At this point, no, because the feedback we've gotten has been really, really solid. Like I said, we're only three seasons in. We have about 10,000 downloads at this point. So it's still pretty new. We haven't gotten anybody chiming in to say like, hey, you guys are really getting on tangents. You need to reel it in or anything like that. And so I feel like what we're doing so far is working. We're always open to that constructive criticism. But so far, it's been like, this is great. Like, this is really easy breezy to listen to. So we're going to just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, I, I really think you guys benefit from having uh, an audience that does feel isolated a lot. Like as a freelancer, you know, I feel this too. When you do anything freelance, which really depended on your business, podcast, speaking, write, you name it, design, it can trip very easily into the lonely. And having a couple of freelancers who do have a good rapport, you know, I, I'm, I remember the final episode that a guy named Robert Krolwich had on the show that he co-hosted for years and years, Radiolab, when he retired, so this, this giant in the space, when he retired, he talked about his love for radio, his love for podcasting and audio. And he said, when you can listen in on a great conversation, it's like sitting next to a warm fire. And I feel like I don't get that warmth enough as an individual freelancer until you have 
a mastermind group, a virtual coffee or real coffee, uh, or perhaps I'm washing the dishes or walking my dog and listening to your show. So I feel like it kind of you you have this marriage, whether intentional or not, of format to audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I feel like as somebody who personally really struggles with the loneliness and isolation aspect of this and has written about it many times, um, this is something building this podcast into our schedule to do it once a quarter or whatever it ends up being is really important for me on a like emotional and mental health level, because having that time where I know I can talk to Emma for, you know, a full week, however long it takes for us to record the podcast, that helps me. It's just nice to have that person to check in with and be like, oh, I'm dealing with this right now, or this sucks, or this is really great. Because you don't have coworkers who can like take you out to lunch and celebrate when you have a really big day. Right? Or like your birthday comes along and it's like crickets, you know, <laughs> nothing. So it's good to have those people that you can check in with. And so my husband and I always joke, there's some meme out there about somebody standing next to a poster of people laughing. And it's like, me and my podcast friends and it's like you're hanging out with them like they're all laughing together that's what it feels like right yeah. when you listen to a good podcast where you feel like the people are your friends that's what we're going for i just had this really sad image come to mind that one was a hilarious image but i just had this sad image of like you or i on our birthdays like sitting alone on a kitchen table with like a tiny cupcake and a depressing <laughs> half-melted candle blowing it out celebrating our birthdays alone like like uh, a single hand of confetti yeah. behind you you just like throw yeah. it take a picture for the gram and you move on oh wow the life of a freelancer well speaking of you you guys just said or you hinted at this anyway you batch record or bulk record or however you want to say it i guess batch but you record across is it a week how, how do you construct the show yeah, so it's a little bit tricky sometimes. Emma has a new baby. Well, he's almost two, so he's still a baby to me. But um, so her schedule has been a little bit more challenging, but we try to block anywhere from three to five days. Sometimes it's over a couple of weeks, depending on her schedule. But we sit down and we try to record at least two episodes at a time. And we do that because once we get in the groove of going back and forth and talking to each other, it just flows really well. And we try to keep that that momentum going. Um, but that's what I did with Paul Jarvis, too. We just blocked a week and we would do three episodes a day. And it just was able we were able to knock it out without kind of stringing things along. And then you have a more cohesive season, I feel like, because you're just continuing on this thing that you've already started. You've been you've been talking about it. It's been you've been thinking about it in the back of your brain. It's all really fresh. Yeah, I think that the the batch recording advantages are clear. Are there any things that you have to be wary of or watch out for when you do it that way? The only thing that's bad about the batch recording is that there's not a ton of time for ideas to marinate. So if we're going to talk about a topic and Emma says something really interesting, I might not think of something that I wanted to add to the conversation until like three days after we've recorded. And then I, we, I could go back and add it in, but we, we just don't at this point. So I think if we had more, if we were doing like one episode a week, there would be a more natural fit for us to say, okay, well, let's go back to that previous conversation or things like that. But right now it's just kind of one and done. Yeah. I imagine there's also a, uh, you got to be careful around any timely references, perhaps like the season of the year or uh, current events, pop culture related topics. Like I think, you know, those things could obviously come back and be like a little out of date or, um, you know, the meaning could have changed by the time you mention it. Right. Like, I'm sure there's some there's some evidence of me tweeting somewhere about how much I liked Louis C.K. stand up, right? And it's like, 
<laughs> you know, so like there's certain yeah. things you got to watch out for when you're talking That's about true. pop culture and news. It'd be really easy, I think, for this show to fall into the camp of the cliche two friends have had lots of conversations offline and one goes this should be a podcast and immediately like over the top of that comment the other friend goes this should totally be a podcast (laughs) and for some reason when you move to the mic it falls apart like it doesn't find listeners and you might have a great time self-expressing which is its own reward but it doesn't find a toehold with listeners how did you avoid that problem and ensure that this is of value to others So I am very fortunate that my podcast co-host is very, very smart. Like she is one of the (laughs) smartest people I know. So whenever she and I speak to each other, this is the craziest thing. But I've noticed that even my vocabulary like goes up a level to like meet her where she is. And so coming in with her at that level of being really smart and having these really intelligent conversations, it makes me better too, which is such a cool thing. And anytime I'm with Emma, or I talk to her on the phone, it's the same thing. I feel like she makes me think differently and speak better and just have a better vocabulary, if that makes sense. So it's, I'm really fortunate to have a partner who does that. I feel like if you don't have a person like that, it could very much veer into what you talked about. And also the planning parts that you've already mentioned already, like you have that you've already mentioned already. See, there's where planning could help. Uh, the planning parts of the, you know, outlining, understanding what bullets you want to touch on. I've done a few co-hosted episodes of this show, like early, early three clips was co-hosted. And very much we were like, maybe a step a little bit further into the scripting, but we were like, okay, here's the rough outline. Here's like kind of sort of what we want to say, or like, here's some questions that I had that I was probably going to ask you co-host. Like, what do you think? Are you ready to answer that? And just having that little banter ahead of time kind of takes it from two friends legitimately riffing over coffee to a production, right? And I think like, not that you have to be a narrative style show with sound design and music, but it is a show and you're up against those kinds of programs. Um, So it's a difference between the blathering, what I'm doing right now, blabbering on and on with no aim and actually having a point to what you're saying. To that end, let's move on. In our final clip, uh, Kaylee, you paint a very honest picture of the downside of freelancing, which I appreciated, uh, but you also offer some really good and practical advice for finding a solution. Let's play that clip. The like prospecting and business development side of freelancing can be super stressful and super overwhelming. I, I just saw a tweet this morning that was like, talking about the never ending hamster wheel of like, oh, I'm not busy enough, or I'm too busy. You know, we've talked, you and I have talked about this basically since the beginning of doing this full time, this freelance type of work. And so if you can remove that from the equation completely by, like you said, working with an agency or subcontracting or finding a person who's like sending you pre-approved leads, whatever it is, you take that off the table and then you get to focus on the work. So if you are feeling super overwhelmed by that, that makes a whole lot of sense. And it's, it's part of the process too of like, okay, I've got a wide range of experience with a lot of different types of work from here. I can start building on top of that and specializing a little bit more because this is what I really enjoy. You're threading a needle, which is like when you're hosting a show, you're taking like a lot of there's a lot of nuance that's lacking on Twitter. Let's just start there. It's like the most extreme version of no nuance is you tweet something. That's kind of where we're at now. 
then you have these like really big fraught topics being discussed with much, much more nuance in podcasts, articles, newsletters, books. You guys have a very tight runtime, something like 25 minutes, give or take 20 minutes, perhaps. Um, how do you know, you know, like how to how to balance the extremes you're talking about? It can be very difficult, I think, to speak accurately to the truths of freelancing without either A, romanticizing it or B, kind of doing that like hustle and grind. You got to love the dirt of it all, right? Um, your show strikes me as as well balanced, I would say. There's a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar. Is that something you're conscious of? I think when it comes to those topics that need a lot of nuance, we will often preface it with like, hey, you know, we're not the experts on this. This is just our two cents on the topic. So do with it what you will. I think the other thing too is Emma and I are not afraid to disagree, which is helpful. So you get both sides of the coin on those topics that could be, you know, people could go either way on. So it's not like we're all agreeing all the time. You do get you do get varied perspective. Again, like Emma and I are in very different life stages as well. So I live in the Midwest. I am single or I'm not single. I have no kids, but Emma is out in San the San Francisco area, San Jose, and she has a little boy and like things are different. Like we are living different lives. And so I feel like that too is helpful rather than just me talking into a microphone sharing my personal experience. You get two people there instead of one. So, are you are you trying to bring out those details to let the listener know, like, hey, we actually like I have a child and and, and whatever, like, and maybe even mortgage. Like, are you letting out those personal details to paint a picture of how you're different or at least compliments? Yeah, yeah, we are. We talk about it quite a bit. I feel like Emma has especially been able to open up about her experience having her first kid and how that's changed her business. And with a lot of our audience base being females, that's, I think, again, something that resonates because a lot of people are in that boat and they're like, how do I navigate this? Like, this is all uncharted territory for me. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so to have somebody in that boat with you and being like, well, here's what I'm doing. I don't know. That feels good, right? It feels like empathy. It feels like somebody really gets it. And so maybe there's people who are in my boat where they're married, they have pets, but like just kind of you know, no kids, not a lot of stress. Um, how do you manage that? Like, how do you not work yourself to death when you don't have a ton of obligations or responsibilities? Like, that's the flip side of that coin, like I said. What's something you find difficult even through till today with doing this show? I think the thing for me is that anytime we do record the podcast, obviously it's time that I'm not doing client work. So again, like this is not a huge moneymaker. So it is taking time out of my schedule to do projects. But again, I feel like it's rewarding enough and it's something I value enough that it's meaningful for me to do that. So the only downside is it, it does take me away from like profitable work that I could be doing instead. And that's a trade-off I'm, I'm okay making. I got a great question on Twitter from a mutual friend of ours, Jared Morris, uh, who works alongside Brian Clark. Uh, he does a lot of community management for uh, Brian's businesses and his own. And he was asking how you... First of all, he said, you're the best. So there you go. Aww. And then he said, he'd love to know what you think are the keys to writing a useful weekly newsletter week after week after week after week. And I'd, I'd apply that to the podcast too. Like how do yeah. you bring that utility to everything week after week after week? Because I do think there is a slippery slope to either A, going too vapid and hollow, not being useful enough, or B, and this is what we see too much, 
of like this is so like 101 level because you're trying to impart like a tip and a trick or you're trying to over summarize or be overly precise like usefulness can slip into oversimplifying stuff in the name of like giving you instructions and i know jerry doesn't feel that way about your work and a lot of your fans don't so how do you think about that every single time out yeah so for me it's a lot about going to the audience and being like what do you want from me like, how can I help you? What What are you curious about? What questions can I answer? Because my well eventually runs dry, right? I only have so many good ideas in me. And then once those are gone, I'm like, I need you to tell me. I need you to tell me what would be valuable for me to talk about. And so going straight to the source of the audience members and asking those questions, whether it's through an email survey, maybe it's even like one-to-one audience outreach. If we have people that we know listen to a decent amount of episodes because we have that data, then we're going to go to them and say like, hey, you know, you you kind of understand where we've been in the past. Where should we go next? What are the things that we can cover that would be interesting or that you're curious about or that you're struggling with? So, yeah, I that's that's the same for newsletter too. like always go to your audience. They're the prime source of material and you're you can guess all day long at what they want to hear from you. But until you ask, you won't really know. How do you think about launching the next season? each time you do so. I think there's some people, you know, I've talked to some people on this show. I've thought about this personally with my shows where like season sounds enticing because you want to do other things in between or you want to like go further into what you can do to produce each episode and maybe need the time to do it. How do you ensure that there's listeners when you go away for a while and then come back? Yeah, I think it again goes back to like going to the audience and answering their questions and saying like, hey, we made this for you. This mm. isn't just for us. We're answering your questions that you asked. But like specifically, you're like, hey, Bill, we heard, I heard from you on Twitter about this question. Mm-hmm. Like we just released an episode. Yep, like, a month here it is. Wow. Here it is. The other thing we do as well is um, both of us are in a bunch of private communities too. So going to those where they can kind of boost signal and say, you know, this new season's coming out or is there a theme we should focus on? The other thing too is like, we're doing this, as we go. So there are things that come up, topics we want to talk about. And if those are burning things that are in the back of our mind and we're like, Hey, Emma, I really just kind of want to talk through this with you. This is a perfect opportunity to do that. And so we're just putting it in a shareable format. Our last segment does not contain a clip. Uh, We talk about reinvention and looking ahead. So as with anything consistent, even just throwing yourself against it and being a creative person, it'll improve, right? You'll find new things to explore and new wrinkles to bring to it to keep yourself engaged. When you think about your show, what are things that you haven't tried yet, but that you'd like to? Um, hmm. Things that I think would be really interesting is maybe doing like a mailbag where we have listeners come on and ask questions live. Um, and then recording that and releasing it as an episode. Again, that's another way we could bring listeners in a little bit more and like literally give them a voice. The other thing too is I am curious down the road if we will start having guests because maybe we'll get to the point where we feel like we've discussed all the things that we want to discuss and we want to have somebody else take the reins a little bit. So those are those are the two big things that jump out at me. It's also like people talk about guests and how difficult it is. Like uh, I envy folks. You think about like the pinnacle of a lot of podcasts, like sports podcasts. You think of like a Bill Simmons, you know, formerly of ESPN and then the ringer and now Spotify. Like he has this 
sure guest driven show but then he also has these recurring characters where you get to know the person with sustained context as a listener because they come on as pseudo guests they're like really co-hosts like we're gonna have you back every so often and i always thought a co-hosted show lent itself so nicely to developing this like cast of characters that you get to know and then you feel as a listener you're part of something larger than yourself uh in a way that you know you kind of already do a little bit with a with a couple of hosts that you hear every week. So I think the possibilities are endless for a co-hosted show like yours. If I'm a freelancer and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm stressed. I have, maybe I have clients. I wish they were better. I have things to say. I'm intrigued by podcasting. I'm drawn to it. Is it a bad decision? Is it a good decision? I don't know how to make heads or tails of this choice. How might you, speaking of the title of your show, how might you coach somebody like that through that choice? I would say, first of all, just just do it. Like that's the first step. Put it out there. See if it resonates. See if people listen. If they don't, don't keep doing it. Or if you get feedback where people are like, eh, which you might not always get, just kind of let the audience inform your decision to keep moving. I feel like though doing it and experimenting and doing the trial and error thing where you put it out in the world and you see if it works is a good way to figure things out because you might find that, hey, I don't really like this. I don't really like the podcast format. It's not a good fit for me. Or I think I might need a co-host or, or guest on here because I feel like I'm you know, screaming into the void by myself up here. Um, everything I've done so far in my freelance career has been a lot of trial and error and basically just raising my hand and saying like, hey, I wanna try this. So that's that's my advice. Try it, see what you think, see if you like it, see if other people like it and let that data set inform your future facing decisions. Isn't that funny? Like a lot of choices we try to make, we try to make them in theory as binary. So in theory means I got to get all the insights and advice and answers to justify acting instead of what so often happens and the people we admire often do, which is act to find some answers, right? Try stuff. And then the second thing, like this absolute or binary choice we're making, it's like, if I'm going to make the podcast, that's it. I now make this podcast. And it's like, no, you can. There's so many ways to pilot something, which also, by the way, includes just like doing an episode and sending it to a few trusted folks. Like if you truly can't stick your neck out publicly to pilot it with some actual people who might listen, do it with some people that you know and trust, maybe not friends and family because they tend to not offer great advice. But, you know, a couple of folks that you have good rapport with in your industry or if you're in-house, some colleagues, like folks that aren't exactly like ready to say, I love you, I'll support you, see you at Christmas. But, <laughs> you know, pe people who would give you a little bit more honesty, like you can try stuff. And if it doesn't work out, that's OK. Don't do it or try something else. Like, it's fine. We'll be OK. Yeah. The the one caveat to that I will Please. say is like, do, don't go out and buy a ton of equipment yes. thinking you're going to be like the podcast king or queen. I feel like start small, start as small as possible. Get yourself a good microphone, have a quiet place to record. Start there. Don't go and like outfit your basement into a podcast studio. I feel like people get really excited about the gear sometimes. And I say this with freelancing too. Like don't go out there and buy the most expensive computer and you know, a, a printer and a fancy ass desk chair and all these things that can cost a lot of money, like start small, be really scrappy in the beginning. I always tell people that like, actually the example I use, you'll appreciate this as someone who's written for uh, different brands. There's a, a giant SaaS company that now has very many podcasts, but when they started their first to like initiate that process, as they were developing their first ever podcast, no proof it was going to work. They spent six figures on building an actual in-office studio. 
And it's like, why? why? You don't, why would you do that? You don't need to. So that's like just a huge message I get whenever I talk to any freelancer who has succeeded, which is uh, dream big, start small, right? Dream big, execute small. And the execution being small, you're trying stuff. It's trial and error. And there's a lot of hand-waving that can go on when I ask people on this show to explain their craft because they want to sound smart. They want to sound like they had a plan all along. When really, if pressed, everybody is sort of saying, I have a sense of taste, or I think I do. I have a little bit of a you know, self-delusion going on in my head that I could do this stuff. And then I tried a bunch of stuff, and a lot of it didn't work. So if you have any inkling you want to try it, just just try it. Yeah, that's the same thing that I did with my freelance career. When I was first starting out, I took any job that came my way, right? Like I did anything. I would write website copy, emails, and it helped me figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. And I think the same is true for podcasting. Maybe you get into it and you're like, yeah, this isn't for me. So if you've invested six figures in a podcast studio, you're gonna be like, well, this is a bad idea. What have I done? The show is Freelance Writing Coach, Kaylee Moore. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find all episodes on our website and support the show by sending a friend there. It's threeclipspodcast.com. This episode was produced by Stuart Barefoot. Our music was created by Tyler Litwin. My work, including my narrative podcast for creative people, Unthinkable, can be found at jayakunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos and I partnered a while ago to bring you this show because we believe the same thing about our shows, any shows, It's about depth. It's about resonance. It's about serving people more deeply. And one great way to do that is to create a private podcast. So Castos is basically becoming the world's go-to HQ for podcasters. They provide tools for your public show to distribute, to measure, all that stuff, but also to create a private show for your super fans. Maybe you want to drive revenue or some kind of subscription, or maybe as with some of my friends, you work in-house on a marketing team and you want to create a show for your internal team. Regardless of the use case, private podcasting is a powerful new wave in this medium. So you can explore those tools and more from Castos at their website, castos.com. That's C-A-S-T-O-S dot All these links are in your show notes. And now our bonus segment. Every episode, we ask our guests for a podcast they'd recommend that is not at the top of the charts. It's a show they want to show some love to. We call this segment, Play It Forward. I want to recommend is kind of a new one. It's by Andra Zaharia, I think is how you say her name. And she has a cyber empathy podcast. And I've been on her podcast before when she had one that was more about marketing and empathy. And the questions that she had, and the topics that she covered were incredibly original. I felt like the way she was bringing the idea of empathy into the world of business and marketing and all these different contexts, she had very curious questions. And I loved talking with her as a guest. I loved listening and hearing what other people had to say in response to her very good questions. So this new show she has on cyber empathy is that in the world of cybersecurity. And with all the data privacy changes that are happening right now, I just think that's super interesting and super timely. So again, the name of the show is Cyber Empathy. It's new, but I I think it's excellent. And I I definitely, that's the one I want to shout out. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo. And as always, I believe making meaningful shows is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me. 
And I'll talk to you on a brand new episode of Three Clips this next Monday. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya.